IGM has been in existence for about 15 years now. And we are a group of lawyers and investigators, aftercare workers, counselors, therapists, pastors, all kinds of folks. And over the last 15 years, we have, God has helped us to work around the world. We have 16 offices today, our 17th office in the Dominican Republic, and our 18th office in New Delhi, India, are right now being set up. And so by the end of the year, we will have 18 offices around the world, especially in the developing world in Africa, in Latin America, in South Asia and Southeast Asia. And our vision really is to go into those countries and to contexts and situations of violent oppression and to rescue those victims of violent oppression and to um, hold perpetrators of those crimes to account and to prosecute them and um, help these um, rescued clients, men, women, and children, um, to a restored life. And our hope ultimately is that on the basis of what we are learning over a, over a period of time in each of these countries, that we will then be able to make sure that the public justice systems in each of these countries um, run more effectively at the end of the day than when we found them, when we entered the country for the first time. So law and the courts and the judges and the judiciary and all that kind of stuff. And so that is what we do. That's what we've been doing for the 15 years now. And over the last 15 years or so, we have helped rescue about 16,000 um, children, women, and men um, around the world. And thank you. <coughs> and so we have more than 4,000 who are receiving aftercare, and uh, we have helped 500, more than 500 violent criminals uh, to get convicted of their, of their crimes. Our hope really is, in all of this that we do, our hope really is that the global body of Christ will begin to join us and will begin to come alongside our work and uh, that together we can do justice. Our hope really is that as we do this, the global body of Christ around the world, both in the developing world as well as in the Western world, would come alongside us and begin to do what God wants us to do. And his heart for the poor and the oppressed is just unmistakable. It's just un, undebatable, not debatable at all. That is very clear throughout the word of God. I'm here with my good friend, uh, as uh, Pastor Ray mentioned, um, um, Larry Martin, he's probably outside. Um, he has been here several times and uh, loves this church dearly and speaks very highly of this church. And so Larry and I are both honored and privileged to be here this morning. Thank you for having us. My hope really is that at the end of the service, as you walk out of the service, that the Lord would have brought clarity to at least a few hearts and minds this morning on what it is that he would have you do. The Christian faith that you and I share is not just a personal religion. The Christian faith that you and I share is not just of, about personal piety. The Christian faith that you and I share is not just about your relationship and mine with God. But instead, it is also at the same time about the corporate experience of the kingdom of God being ushered in, into our world. It is both the personal and the corporate. And I'm hoping that as you walk out of this service at the end of this sermon, 
that you would have a better understanding of what it is the Lord would have you do in terms of both loving God, your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your strength, as well as loving your neighbor as yourself. I hope and pray that you will realize and recognize that one cannot exist in um, separation from the other. Both are not mutually exclusive. If we do look at it as being both mutually exclusive, as this being different and that being different, then what we have is a half-baked construct that is just comfortable to us. And it is not what God intends for that faith to be. And if we do keep that separated, then we would have missed the entire point of what God put us here for in the first place. I want to share a story with you um, through the next few minutes that I have with you of this young girl called Mala. Mala, by the way, means uh, a garland. Mala is a garland. And in India, you would see, if you go to a hotel in India, they would put a garland of flowers on you and things like that. And so it's a, it's a good thing. And Mala was 16 years old when we first found her, when IJM was first introduced to her. Mala, when IJM was first introduced to her, had already been trapped in uh, one of the most notorious red light districts of Calcutta. Um, called Sonagachi. The pictures that you saw on the video are all based, set up, set in Sonagachi. Mala had been trapped in that Sonagachi area for a year. Um, and Mala said to us when we got her eventually, she said there, only two, there were only two ways that she would have ever gotten out of the brothel, she thought. One was if she thought she would be sold to another brothel and her pain and misery and agony would continue or that she would die. Those are the only two ways that I could have ever escaped. Mala was raised in a slum outside of Calcutta, just a little away from Calcutta by her uncle and aunt. She doesn't remember very much about her parents. Uh, for whatever reason, I'm, I don't know the family history. But she said that her aunt and uncle loved her very much. And as she was growing up, as was um, the common practice, as she became a teenager and things like that, she decided that she was going to go out and find a job for herself uh, so that she can bring in a little money that can help contribute to the care of the other children in the family that her uncle and aunt were caring for. And so she went out and got herself a job. And she found a job in a, an embroidery unit doing embroidery work. One fine day, the employer took her on an overnight trip to the town nearby, outside of where she was, so that they could buy the material needed for the embroidery work. On the way, they stopped to spend the night at a cheap uh, motel. Um, and uh, she woke up in the middle of the night, and she realized that the boss, quote unquote, was gone. And she realized that she was in trouble. She knew that something was wrong. The hotel or the motel that she checked into was actually a brothel. The brothel where Mala and the others were trapped was actually barely disguised as a motel. It was right by off the freeway, a major freeway in Calcutta. And it was a very close to a frequent uh, and a major truck stop where truck drivers would come and other men who wanted to purchase sex. The front of the establishment was a bar and a restaurant, but if a customer would ask more, they would be escorted back to the back of the facility, and that is where Mala and the other girls would be lined up for the customer to choose. 
Mahler was initiated by the owner of that brothel. By the way, the owner of the brothel was one of the most notorious, ruthless men, uh, traffickers in that area. His name was Nakul Bera. Nakul Bera first raped her, and uh, that was the rite of initiation that all these girls had to go through. And Mahler later told us that he was the owner. No one could stop him. Mala was locked up in that brothel and had to work around the clock. She had to service 10 to 20 customers each day for seven days a week. And if they tried to refuse a customer, they were beaten mercilessly and tortured. When Mala once tried to flee from that establishment, she was caught and she was viciously beaten. After months of abuse in the, in the brothel, she became pregnant from the abuse, and Nakulbera's viciousness and ruthlessness only increased, and she started, he started beating her with metal pipes and kicking her in the stomach, and she lost her baby. That is how Nakulbera ran his brothel. He underscored his power of physical violence and made his physical connections known and his political connections known to girls and everyone around that area. Mahler's story is unfortunately not all that uncommon. In fact, it is far too common. It is more common than you and I would like to think. The statistics on such abuse and injustice is just mind-boggling. Nearly two million children are exploited around the world in, in commercial sex trade. Trafficking for the purpose of sexual exploitation accounts for the majority of cases. And look at the last one. The U United Nations claims that one in five women around the world have, been, have suffered rape or attempted rape. And you look at all that, you look at the story of Mala, you look at the statistics here and you wonder why. There is something wrong with this picture, isn't there? And then you wonder, does the Bible say anything at all about this? The answer is yes. Actually, quite a bit. The Bible is chock full of scripture references and passages that show us what God's heart is. The Bible is chock full of references and scripture passages that demonstrate and clarify to us, the reader, that God's heart is a heart of love and justice and grace and mercy, especially for the poor and the oppressed. Micah chapter 6, 8, it's a very popular verse in the justice realm, in the discussions about justice. He has shown you, it says, O mortal, what is good. What does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God. Isaiah 1.17, it says, learn to do what is right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widows. And these, by the way, brothers and sisters in Christ, are not incidental references either. These are not just sort of references that are sprinkled throughout God's word. These references actually constitute sort of the central theme of the Bible. Cover to cover, from creation to the new heavens and the new earth. That heart of God for the poor and the oppressed is a theme that just unites the entire scriptures. You look at the first five books of, of the Bible, the books of Moses as we call them. It's, it's a common recurring theme. 
We all know the story of Exodus, right? How people in Exodus were rescued from, from just tyranny of slavery under the slave masters and rulers of Egypt. And then God rescues them, brings them out, and he turns to them and he says, now you, you, my people, must be the liberators. In Deuteronomy chapter 14, it says, at the end of every three years, bring all the tithes of that year's produce and store it in your towns. Why? So that the Levites, who don't have an allotment like the other tribes of Israel, the foreigners, that the fatherless, that the widows who live in your town may come and eat and be satisfied so that the Lord your God may bless you. You flip some pages, go through the prophetical books, the major prophets, the minor prophets, the same theme throughout the prophetic books. Isaiah chapter 3 verses 14 and 15, the Lord enters into judgment against the elders and the leaders. He's talking to his people and he's talking to the leaders of his people and he says, it is you who have ruined my vineyard. The plunder from the poor is in your houses. Flip a few more pages, go through the books of the Bible, come to the Gospels. What is the theme? It's the same theme. It's the same theme that Jesus talks about when he pulls up the scroll in the synagogue and he reads the Old Testament verse. He says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. We see time and time again, cover to cover, this is God's heart for the poor and the oppressed people. And he wants his people to do what he wants us to do, to care for them. And yet, hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, no, millions of people around the world languish in abject pain in absolute horror and evil 24-7. You and I look at that and wonder, what is wrong with that picture? Let me take you back to Mala's story quickly. The IGM team, the International Justice Mission team, began building a case of very clear evidence of trafficking in this case. And we presented it to a special force within the Calcutta Police Department, within the Calcutta Law Enforcement um, Wing. It's called the Criminal Investigations Department, the CID as we call them. So we went to the CID and we presented this case to them and we said, we've got to rescue these girls because there is absolutely clear evidence of trafficking here. And we want to get these girls out. So the CID, along with the IJM lawyers and the investigators and the social workers and all that, got together, put this operation together, and we went and raided the place. But there is rampant corruption, corruption in most of the countries that we work in. Before we got there, the police had already tipped off, or people in the police department had already tipped off Nakulbera. And so the Nakulbera and his associates had already cleared the facility. By the time we got there, there wasn't anybody there. We got together again, dejected, depressed, frustrated, disappointed. We got back together, we put our team together, got the police back again on board, and we went again another time. And again, it was tipped off. 
There wasn't anybody there. We got back together again, went back again. It was tipped off again. We went back again. It was tipped off again. We went back again. It was tipped off. Over a six-month period, six times the operation was tipped off. We were persistent. We had to have Mala out. We could not fathom having her endure what she was enduring, what she was going through another day, another minute. We wanted her out yesterday, as we say. There was enough goodwill in the police department, I have to acknowledge, and so we got together some of these policemen of goodwill and we got together another police operation together. But in this time, we went back to the church, to the body of Christ, to you, and we said, please join us in prayer for this operation. Please join us because our God is the God of impossibles. Our God is a God of miracles. Our God is a God of love and mercy. Our God is the God who created Mala in his own image. Join us and pray for us. Pray for Mala. Come together with us. This time we went back to the place, to that brothel, in, um, in February of 2009. Guess what? This time there was no tip-off. We went to the brothel. But unfortunately, by the time we got to the brothel, as, we saw, as they saw the cars coming in, uh, police cars and things like that, they knew what was up. And so they started chasing girls and women out of the brothel. But that day, three of the girls that were trapped there were sleeping. So they could not get out in time. And we got three girls. Three young girls were rescued that day. Three precious creatures of God were rescued that day. Unfortunately, Mala was not among them. You see, you and I, Christians, people of God, cannot sit by and watch. You and I cannot pretend that perhaps it's not all that bad. These NGOs make up a lot of stories. They want our money. Perhaps it's too far away. There's nothing I can do. Or, even worse, ah, I don't see it. I don't see it. Because, of course, my ostrich head is where? In the sand. That's where I'd like it to be. That's comfortable. You see, perhaps not here in this church, but traditionally, our view of salvation and what it means to be a Christian has been a very narrow one. It's a very narrow understanding that we have of salvation. We have for the most part succeeded in limiting God and his work in this world to a concept, to an understanding that we can manage. You see, for the most part, salvation is seen as my relationship with God. My relationship. You see, salvation is seen in terms of going home in the by and by when I die. So we see it either as having to do with us, me, my heart, my life, or when I die, I will go to heaven. 
I'll read another scripture passage for you and that'll sort of tell you what I'm talking about. This is just beautiful, glorious passage from prophet Isaiah chapter 65. See, I will create a new heavens and a new earth, it says. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. But be glad and be rejoice and rejoice in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and crying will be heard no more. He says the wolf and the lamb will feed together. Isn't that beautiful? The lion will eat straw like the ox. The dust will be the serpent's food and they will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountains, says the Lord God Almighty. What a beautiful, glorious, wonderful picture. But see, there's a problem. When you and I read scripture passages like that, we're doing something, our mind is doing something. Why? Because we have been trained to read scripture a certain way. Even as I'm reading the scripture passage, what am I doing? I'm already relegating it to somewhere beyond time and beyond history as we know it. Surely this is talking about the tomorrow, about the hope for the future, about what is to come. And that is what I have my eyes set on. As long as we see salvation only in terms of going to heaven when we die, the task, the role of the church will be inevitably seen in terms of saving souls for that future. That is it. May I encourage you humbly to see it a little differently today. What if you and I began to look at salvation as being both about heaven and hope and eternity and all that wonderful stuff? I'm not saying it's not important. That is important. I'm not saying that is unnecessary or not meaningful. All that is good stuff. But what if we began to see salvation in terms of that and God's promise of our, your, his people, you and I, sharing in the reality of God's kingdom that is birthing in our world even now? What if we began to see salvation as both that and this? See, problems always come when, we begin, when personal salvation gets isolated from God's desire to set things right, period. That is what he wants to do, to set things right. Consider Hitler's Germany. You see, I've, during my theological seminary days and things like that, I always wanted to go to Germany to study theology. See, Germans are particularly passionate about scripture and theology, just hardcore theology. Most Germans, or a large percentage of Germans, were devout Christians who had that passionate understanding of scriptures and theology. 
But what happened? They stood by and watched an entire population be led to annihilation. And they stood by. As long as the government allowed them the freedom to pray and worship, they did not feel that they have a right to intervene. Consider Rwanda. Rwanda is this tiny little East African nation. In April of 1994, there was a genocide that happens in, happened in Rwanda. One tribe fighting against the other tribe over a period of a few weeks, I think three to five weeks, something like that, in April of 1994, one tribe massacred another tribe and there were a million people that were killed, macheted to death and clubbed to death in a matter of weeks, a million people. Rwanda, by the way, you would find this fascinating, is one of the countries with the highest percentage of Christians in any East African country. They stood by and watched as an entire group of people were butchered to death. Worse still, many of them participated in that massacre. See, on the one hand, there is God's saving grace in our personal life. But on the other, his larger work of establishing the new heavens and the new earth. On the one hand is the future and tomorrow and hope. And on the other is the here and now. See, Christianity, our faith, has to have that tension. That tension is what makes our faith authentic and credible. It is not one or the other. See, we all go to Apostle Paul for our theology. Apostle Paul is a standard bearer for our theology, so we always look to Pauline letters for, for our theology. And in Romans chapter 8, there is this small little verse that sort of... That, demonstrates what I'm talking about. Paul says in chapter uh, 8, verse 24 of Romans, he says, for we were saved with hope. We were saved with hope. The juxtaposition, the sort of combination, the coming together of the past tense of a reality of God's kingdom in our lives that happened in the past and is present in our today, Combining that, aligning that with the future hope is what our Christian faith is about. That is authentic, credible faith. For we were saved with hope. For the first century Christian, it was all about God's new world. They were living under tyrannical Roman authoritarian regime. They were persecuted, they were, they were low-class citizens. For them it was all about hope and escape. It was all about future. But they also had a very clear and robust understanding of the work of Jesus and his disciples in doing the miracles and the healing here, now, today. That is authentic Christian faith. 
Now I recognize, and I said this in the past two services, this is a heavy, meaty topic, more than can be digested in one sermon. But here's what I want you to walk out with. If you write notes, here's when you get your pen and pencils out. Salvation is transformation in the present in preparation for its completion in the future. Salvation is transformation in and of the present in preparation for its completion in the future. It is not one or the other. It is a journey. It is a progressive journey. I read N.T. Wright quite a bit, and if you have a chance to get your hands on his books, read them. They're not very theological, but um, very accessible. Very theological, but very accessible, too. I'm reading a quotation from him, from N.T. Wright. He writes this so much more beautifully. When God saves people in this life, he says, by working through his spirit to bring his people to faith, and by leading his people to follow Jesus in discipleship, in prayer, in holiness, in hope, in love, such people are designed, that's you and I, such people are designed to be a sign and a foretaste of what God wants to do for the entire world. But he takes it one notch higher. He says, what's more, such people are not just to be a sign and a foretaste, of what is to come in the future, but you and I are supposed to be part of the means by which God makes it happen, both in the present and in the future. You and I are the means by which God's kingdom becomes a reality, both here, now, and in the future. The three girls, remember the three girls that were saved in Mala's story? The three girls decided that they're going to go back to the police and start sharing their stories. And so they went back to the stories. And uh, um, the IJM start, staff, tired, frustrated by the repeated tip-offs and the lack of finding, uh, or the inability to find Mala after six attempts, failed attempts. Um, and, but on the other hand, strengthened by the prayer that was being mobilized from around the world by our partners, um, decided that they're going to lobby the police again, very specifically for Mala, with pictures in hand. So we've got to get this girl out. And in 2009, late in 2009, uh, the police came back to us and saying, hey, that girl that you were looking for, we found her. And so we put our teams together, we put our operational team together, and we went back to the brothel then. And we found her. Amen. We found Mala. <laughs> Mala was free. Mala was ours. Mala did not have to go back to sleep another night with tears and pain. Mala was safe. Because God's people were there to get her. She and the other girls were taken to a safe place where they began the process of, that picture was taken about three months after she was saved, uh, rescued. Um, 
that smile would not have been there three months prior. Um, we began putting our case together against Nakul Bera and his associates. And this man who once thought he was invincible had in the meanwhile gone into hiding. He was on the run. Because God's people stood up to him. It took us nine months after that before we finally got Nakul Bera. And he was charged for his crimes. Nakul Bera, by the way, attempted for bail, applied for bail 50 times. And every time he would apply for bail, the IJM lawyer would be dispatched and he would drive a half a day to go to the courthouse and he made sure that his bail application was denied. We wanted to make sure that Nakul Bera stays behind bar. We want to make sure that all bad people who hurt and harm and cause pain and misery to God's creatures stay behind bars. It took us nearly three years for the hearings to begin in the court where the evidence was started to, being, uh, to be presented. And three of the survivors, one of them being Mala, decided that they will testify in court, which is a particularly courageous decision because that meant that Mala and these two other girls would have to come face to face with Nakul Bera one more time. The man who brutalized them, the man who profited from their exploitation. But Mala is a strong woman and, uh, and she decided she will do that. In March of 2013, earlier this year, Nakul Bera, and his manager were convicted of rape and trafficking. And they were sentenced to 10 years of rigorous imprisonment in a Calcutta prison. IJM, we are so grateful. IJM is so grateful for people and churches like yourselves who come alongside in this journey, in this fight, in this cause who come alongside and allow us to show up, to stand up, and to speak up for people that can't. Now, if you and I find ourselves in a position of power, you and I, I, I am certain, will do the right thing. You and I will be, uh, make sure that there is no injustice done. Well, nobody suffers under us, nobody is oppressed under us. But often the question that is asked is, what about these people that are hundreds and thousands of miles away? What about them? I mean, who is my neighbor? You say, love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind and strength and love your neighbor. Who is my neighbor? How far should my reach go? How far should my concern go? You're doing this campaign, the, the local, the regional, global, that's truly the answer. There's a story in the Gospels where the, where the lawyer comes to Jesus, and I work with a bunch of lawyers, I know they're smart Alex, most of them, and they all know, they all think that they've got it all covered, and they're the smartest people on the planet, and so there's this smart Alec guy who comes to Jesus, and he says, I'm sorry, lawyers, I love you guys, if there are lawyers here. Um, but this lawyer comes to Jesus and he says, hey, Rabbi, I've got a question. Who is my neighbor? Right? I mean, smart question. Who is my neighbor? Who are the people that I should be concerned about? Is it the people sitting right here that I can see and, and, and know? Or who? That's the question, right? 
And when Jesus says, and I don't want to go into the story, but Jesus says, well, he sort of cuts that story short because he has immediately identified what the question is. The question really is sort of the human tendency that we have to absolve ourselves from responsibility. We all have this tendency to absolve ourselves. Well, I can be responsible for this and that and that, but beyond that, no, that's too much. That's not my responsibility. Well, you guys come in. I've had so many pastors and churches come to me and tell me, well, you are the NGO. That's your job. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Jesus says, go and do likewise. He sort of cuts the conversation off. He says, don't ask me questions. Everybody is your lawyer, locally, regionally, globally. Everybody is your lawyer. So who's your lawyer this morning? It's that young man right here in Chicago who's, who's, who's imprisoned in that ever-tightening grip of unemployment and poverty and violence. He's your neighbor. But also, at the same time, the young man thousands of miles away, working away in the sweltering sun of the Indian summer, imprisoned in a rock quarry as a slave laborer for the third generation, working 16-hour days. He is your neighbor as well. It's the 26-year-old young woman here, the single mother who's got three children to feed, no employable skills, a criminal record to boot. She is your neighbor. It's also the 62-year-old widow in Zambia or Uganda who has also no employable skills, who's been threatened and run away from her property and now on, with machetes by her relatives and now has to fend for herself and her children by selling her body. She is your neighbor as well. Who is your neighbor? Locally, regionally, globally. All of them. And you and I, God's people, are responsible for all of them. See, justice, let me tell you this, justice is not a set of activities that you do. Justice is not a bunch of things that you plan for doing in next year. That is not justice. Justice comes from the heart of God. God is a God of justice. And you and I, as his children, emulate God. And we become a people of justice. That is what justice is. See, the words in the New Testament Greek that, 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 that the, the, the word justice and the word righteousness come from the same root word. They're essentially the same root word. Justice and righteousness. Justice and righteousness. And together these two words sum up the heart of God. And everything that we do, everything that we are, everything about us is encompassed in these two words, justice and righteousness. Economic fairness, protection of the vulnerable, end to lies and bribes and corruption, reconciliation, forgiveness of personal sins, personal holiness, care of God's creation, generosity to the poor, international relations, good government, all of it. Justice and righteousness. All right, Debbie. What do you think we should do as a church? That's your question to me. 
I'm, I'm reading your mind right now. I'm trying to think if there's anything else coming. Well, here's three things that you do. Three things that you do. One, be the prophetic voice of transformation. The church has to recognize that the primary reason, the foremost reason it has been established is so that we can be the voice of God's rescuing work in this broken and hurting world. We are the voice of God. Two, keep hope alive. Keep hope alive. Continue to keep that hope alive. We all know that the, the magnitude of the issue is too big. Sometimes that can be intimidating. And then you couple with that the lack of skills, the lack of, well, what do I do kind of a thing. It can render us into sort of this, this terrible state of hopelessness. But I encourage you to keep that hope alive, that we will become all that God wants us to be, and we will rescue all these people that God wants us to be involved in rescue of. But three, more importantly, get engaged in the work. I mean, you guys, especially this church, Parkview, you have been phenomenally supportive of what we do. You have stepped up. You have stood up with us. You have enabled us to stand up. That smile on Mala's face is a result of you coming alongside us. Those little feet dancing in the video, I was telling in the previous uh, service, I saw some of the pastors dancing. I, didn't, I don't think I cared for that too much. but, but <laughs> But those little girls dancing, that's a result of you coming alongside us. And as Pastor Ray said, there is so much more to be done. I have in the, in the back of your seats, I think there is this advocacy cards from IJM that are, I want you to, I'd love for you to put your name and address on it and address it to your senator, Senator Durbin or Senator Kirk. Those are advocacy cards that we will hand deliver to those senators on the Capitol Hill. And that is asking you, asking your senators to stand up and make sure that the United States government does what it can and should do to protect people around the world that are being oppressed and violently abused. There are 27 million slaves around the world today. 27 million slaves around the world. I have personally met countless second and third generation slaves in our world today. I want to take you quickly back to Mala's story and I'll stop. I think I will shut my time. Four years after Mala was rescued, Mala is today a thriving, flourishing young woman. She lives in a hostel. Actually, she says in the home that Pastor Ray and the others went to. She works as an assistant in a beauty parlor. That girl in black jeans and black top, that's Mala. Fashionable, stylish girl, see the skinny jeans. <laughs> she has a phone, she looks at the phone all the time, laughs easily, teases other girls around her about boys and stuff like that, just typical girl stuff. Happy, joyful, thriving. She says this, I'll read this and close. She says, I like my life better now. I can do whatever I want. I can go when I want to, and I can come when I want to. And she says, one day I want to buy a house. Imagine that. 
Imagine that. This is a girl that was brutalized day in and day out and had only thought that she will ever escape that brothel if she dies. And she says, one day I want to buy a house. I'm saving money every month, she says. I will have a red kitchen. I like red. And she says, I will have a color TV and I will buy things to decorate my house with. That is my dream. The picture of Mala, that picture of Mala is a direct result of God's people like you all here, standing up for her and helping us speak up for her. So on behalf of malas all around the world, may I encourage you to begin to look at salvation and your faith as more than just a glorious hope for the future. May I encourage you to begin to look at your faith as being both about that glorious hope for what is to come in the fullness of time and for what God wants you to do as instruments that will help God usher in the kingdom of God and the joy and the peace and the exuberance of that kingdom here today, now. Let me pray for you. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Father, we are so grateful that you have reminded us one more time of what it is that you want us to do and who it is that you want us to be. And Father, as a church, this morning we surrender ourselves and we commit ourselves afresh into your hands and we pray that you would begin to work in our hearts and minds that you would help us to begin to increasingly stand up and speak up for those that can't and together as a church we would be instruments of your love and grace and mercy both here locally and regionally as well as globally help us to be exactly who you want us to be a people of justice in Jesus name Amen Thanks, guys. Uh, I want to thank uh, Abraham for being with us today and for Larry in the back. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. And uh, I just, I, you know, I just can't say enough about what they, what they do and day in and day out. I mean, it's hard. It's dangerous stuff. And, and it's just amazing. And I'm just honored to be part of it. And I, and I think that we can play even a greater role in the lives of some of these young girls. And, uh, and that's, that's part of all in, you know. But Jesus said local, regional, and global, not just one or the other. And so 
Um, we want to try to do as much as we can for the kingdom. This is our opportunity to do it. This is, this is the one life we get. And so we're taking it seriously. Uh, again, if you missed last week and I laid out uh, all the things that we want to do in the next couple of years uh, locally, regionally, globally, make sure you go online, listen to it, grab one of these um, uh, uh, brochures that are down in one, in one of the uh, uh, chair bottoms around you. Just grab one, take it with you. If you have any questions, uh, just let us know. But um, we want to make it difference in the world and that's what God has called us to do and with uh, with the courage and um, the help of all God's people together 100% of us it's a team thing we'll make it happen and it's it's great to be in partnership with people like IJM so why don't you stand with me I'm going to pray for us as we're as we're as we're done let's pray together shall we father we're grateful for what you're doing in the world today and as Abby said it's not just about heaven. It's about what's happening now and what you call us to do, who you call us to be as your people, uh, those who bring this good news of rescue, not just through our words, but through our actions, our acts of compassion, our willingness to sacrifice our own comfort, to take risks for the sake of those who are held captive, for those who are lost, uh, for those who are in, in, in need of, of, of you. And so may uh, you place your hand of grace and peace and strength and courage on your church today. And even as we leave the building and we go back out into our lives, may we live in such a way that we point people to you. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for being here. We'll see you next Sunday.